You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Back inside the four walls of the Musicians Guild, and as usual, I thank you for being here, and I thank you for listening. I first heard the song Waiting Room by Fugazi when I was about 13 or 14 years old. A few years after their first album, 13 songs had come out. Being a huge Fugazi fan for 25, 26 years now, I am obviously fully aware of the fact that it is their most well-known song. It is the song that people who aren't necessarily Fugazi fans still know. It's the song that at their shows, the sort of less aware and annoying attendees would just shout for them to play while they're trying to get through, you know, other songs, which are all amazing because they have a huge catalog. But I think in this case, there is a reason that so many people have gravitated towards that song. I personally am still not sick of that song at all. I can still listen to it today. And aside from my memory of feelings I had when I first listened to it, it still gives me a sense of joy. And although it's not necessarily my favorite Fugazi song of all time, it's still really important as a singular piece of work itself. This is a song that begins with a very distinct bass line that usually would have been heard in the context of some sort of samba or bossa nova. And yet here it is, kicking off this song that somehow became a punk kind of institution, but still completely bends and combines genres while falling in between any genre itself. So you got this bass line going. It goes four times in the intro in total. The last two times, it has this backbeat that sounds like kind of chucking on the guitar strings while muting the strings, so it's just this percussive sound. And on the pickup beat, which is the fourth beat of the last measure, The drummer, Brendan, he hits the snare and the hi-hat at the same time, accenting this intro before busting into this frenetic halftime beat with the hi-hats moving quickly, either on the eighth note or the sixteenth note, depending on how you're counting it and where you place the quarter note. But you have this fast-moving hi-hat with this beat that is also doubled by the guitar, playing a very simple two-note part but creating complete harmony with the bass line. And in the turnaround of the guitar part, 
there's even this eighth or sixteenth note metal type picking with palm muting, you know, again, depending on where you're counting the quarter note. And together it creates one of the most special grooves and pioneering grooves of any rhythm section. Not only did this kind of create the trademark Fugazi halftime groove, which I still credit them for not overusing, but creates this completely unique texture, and this is before the vocals even come in. That whole groove in Waiting Room is one of those parts, it's that type of groove where if you can't dance or move to that, I think you might have a really hard time dancing and moving to anything. Because for punk musicians in DC, uh, even now, it's so heavily in the pocket. And the pocket is a term used by musicians to kind of um, refer to being exactly in that right spot of timing where you're not really rushing the beat and you're not really on top of the beat. You're not fully laying back, but you're just in that perfect spot. It's just astounding the level of musicianship matched with that level of innovation for them to write and record this song in 1989. This was before they even had two guitars going, as Guy didn't really play guitar yet. He was just singing and obviously adding a lot of flavor and a lot of style to that song and the album as a whole. See, uh, with their previous bands, Embrace and Rites of Spring, it was certainly like a transitional piece to this, meaning you could kind of see the direction that the music was headed, but I don't think anybody could have seen this coming. This sort of concoction and groundbreaking unification of concepts is still so powerful to me to this day. And there's so many things that I loved 25 years ago that haven't held up. And there are a lot of other great songs on 13 songs. A lot of times where they still kind of touch on this groove, like in the song Bad Mouth. And then beyond that album, they've progressed to actually expanding and pushing their own boundaries, which is an ethos that we adopted in RX, aside from many other things that we straight took from being so heavily influenced by Fugazi, and not only their music, but their sort of creative mentality. And with the exception of large chunks of Steady Diet of Nothing, I have loved everything that band has done, and to this day, they are still one of my most favorite bands. And the main reason, simply put, is their ability to innovate. In all disciplines and mediums, especially in those that are creative, I feel like the power to innovate is one of the hugest forces to draw people in and to display creative power. Whether or not I myself have achieved it, it has always been one of my largest goals, is to innovate. And that doesn't mean necessarily creating brand new things out of nothing. In my mind, 
especially in music, innovation means creating new combinations of pre-existing things in brand new ways to make brand new things, which when said, like I'm saying it now, seems like a very uh, doy type concept or like no shit, you know, that's what everybody's trying to do, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. Not everyone is looking to be challenged and moved in music. There are so many people, as I've referred to in the past, who don't interact with music in that way. They view it as a sort of emotional technology to enhance either a feeling or a vibe, but they're not really looking for an exchange. It's something simply there like a chair to be used and it's something to be enjoyed. But for those of us who are more deeply involved with music, whether it's from uh, the perspective of being just a fan of music or being someone who makes music themselves or both, it requires a higher transaction rate, if you will. This sort of innovation has been what has drawn me to so many different things and within music has drawn me to so many different songs and artists themselves. Whether it was first hearing Say My Name by Destiny's Child or maybe even first time hearing Academy Flight Song by No Knife with one of the most special and unique guitar parts in the intro that many of us have ever heard or the innovation that I hear in the songs of gigantic pop stars, where you can hear teams of such talented songwriters and musicians all trying to make their way and do their thing, and imparting so much creative effort and innovation into one song. And then you got a team of three to five of those people. And say what you want about some of these gigantic pop stars, but a lot of these songs are amazing because of that. When I listen to these pop stars, I'm not listening to who that pop star is themselves. I'm listening to all the songwriters, the producers, the innovation, even at the hand of being pushed along by the really soulless and shitty major music industry. This is where the ends may not justify the means, but the ends sort of take the sting off the means because regardless of what the motivation was, even if it's for money and commercial success, it doesn't change the fact that a lot of this musical work coming out is just incredible. Especially with so many pop stars being surrounded by people just pumping them up all the time. A lot of the times their concept of writing a song is thinking of a narrative and writing lyrics. And there's a lot of really musically talented pop stars in which that's not the case. They're writing a lot of their own music, but there's still a lot who err on the side, which I was previously mentioning. You may be listening to the song Blank Space by Taylor Swift, but I'm listening to the song Blank Space, written by one of the greatest pop songwriters ever, Max Martin, and his amazing work at the behest of the commercial music gods. This makes me think of another point of contention or polarizing subject, this little band from uh, some time ago called The Beatles. You know, it's split where there's these 
new school heads that like I don't get it. Why does everybody give props to the Beatles? I'm sick of hearing about them. They were overrated. It wasn't that good. And then you have the people on the opposite end of the spectrum who are all about it, constantly praising them, drawing from them. And you don't need to like the Beatles. That's fine. But if you are a songwriter and you haven't at least familiarized yourself with some of the innovations in songwriting that the Beatles were responsible for, then you're just doing yourself a huge disservice. Like a chef studying French gastronomy from hundreds of years ago, that may not be the style in which they want to cook, but in order to form that style, that history and that technique needs to be respected and learned to build that technical foundation through which we find our own creative voice. Now, there are tons of people who fall outside of what I'm saying. Specifically to music, there are tons of artists across all kinds of genres that don't give a fuck about anything in the past, about learning technique, about being good at what they do. They just want to make what they want to make. And sometimes it resonates with people and they respond to it and they love it. And that's legit. That's totally cool. I'm not criticizing those sort of endeavors and the audience that that can bring. But that's not what I'm about. That's not what we're about here in the Musicians Guild per se. You know, it's all about the love and the devotion to the craft of music and songwriting. And I'm not here to tell anybody that there's only one way to do it or this way is better than that way. No, we all have to find our own way. But I am a firm believer that we develop our own style in whatever we do by learning techniques of our predecessors, innovations by pioneers, and the work of really important people in our respective fields. And, you know, Fugazi, Max Martin, The Beatles, they're just a few of many examples of artists that have come before me and before many of us that we could all really use to learn from. Outside of the joy it brings for those who make it and the joy it brings to those who consume it, music is largely meaningless. It's so subjective. There are, as I've mentioned before, so many different types of interacting with it, so many ways of judging it, listening to it, writing it, playing it, seeing it. It wouldn't be ridiculous for someone to ask, well, why even bother you know, studying these artists you mentioned or anyone else for that matter? Why even try to get better? Why not just do it for the enjoyment and do it however, you know, feels natural. And uh, I wouldn't necessarily have an answer to that. I'm just speaking about doing it in a way that makes sense to me, that still gives me joy while not ignoring my own annoying sense of ambition regarding the level of my work through my own eyes. But alas, I am who I am. I haven't had the security and that inner peace to just do what I do, however I do it, and just enjoy doing it, whether it be crappily or 
really great. I have sincerely envied those who don't put pressure on themselves and are happy to engage in whatever activity that they're interested in with that presence and peace to not constantly worry about being quote unquote better or making quote unquote the best version of it you know that they can but accepting ourselves and accepting who we naturally are is truly playing the hand that we are dealt and if writing words down and kind of coming up with a loose melody constitutes writing a song to you I'm not here to try and devalidate that. Or, if you prefer working on music for someone else to perform and be the face of, and you're pouring everything you have into that, I find that equally respectable. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to play a character of the ultimate creative diplomat. No. I'll poke fun at all of that shit. But if I'm being truly honest, and I go to the bottom of my heart, That's how I truly feel. I'm just happy that people are making music. I've been practicing and studying music for 35 years. And the fact that somebody who has no musical knowledge that enjoys making music but has only done so for three or four years can make songs in an app on their phone and get a number one hit with it, I enjoy that because I feel like it displays the enigmatic power of music. When it lands on the ears of those outside of creating the music itself is when that syndication of energy and that syndication of emotion really takes form and it unites as much as it divides. Where am I going with all this? I don't know. I just know that when I think about music and I talk about it, I only have thoughts followed by more questions. And I'm just going to keep exploring. Thanks for listening. I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts.